0: Girls Who Product tells the stories of amazing women to inspire others to follow their path in the product area. This project is supported by Zalando. Hello, everyone. We are back with another episode of Girls Who Product. Just to remind that Girls Who Product is a series of interviews with ladies in the leadership of product and product management. And today we're joined by a very, very special guest. Her name is Lana Krik. Welcome, Lana.
1: Hi everyone, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you today.
0: After reviewing your LinkedIn profile, I've noticed that so many people leave great opinion about you and about your work. Uh, one of your former colleagues, she mentioned that she has never met in her life such an awakened designer as you are. So what does it mean for you to be awakened in the design profession?
1: So, first of all, thank you for the kind words. That's um, really flattering to to hear. I think that for me, being a woke designer means just being highly attuned to different types of people. So, stepping out of one's own bubble, um, one's own privileged bubble, one might also say, and um, deeply caring about people of all backgrounds in terms of, yes, equality, and beyond that, also justice, I would say. Um, And if we want to expand the concept even a bit further, for me, it would also entail environment. Environment is a concern.
0: I forgot actually to mention that Lena is a a product designer, right, at Zalando. What is a typical workflow of a product designer? And in general, what is a good day for you at work?
1: Um, Yeah, maybe I can share from a few different perspectives here, because indeed I started as a product designer at Zalando. Um, But then I went on to switch internally into a rather centralized design role, where I also became a senior designer. And just recently, I took another step where I became a design manager. So maybe I can contrast the three different engagement types as a designer, and then you get a more holistic picture. So as an embedded designer, I worked super closely with the engineers and with the product manager on the team. There was also a product analyst, we would, define our roadmap together, our deliverables. We would do discoveries together and shape a vision for the respective area. So it was very much hands-on and that's what I loved about it. And then later on, I moved into a centralized role with a team called The Studio here at Zalando, where we rather did project-based design work. And this meant that I could switch topic a lot more often I switched from the end-customer-facing side, so B2C, all the way to our brand-partner-facing side, so looking into, I don't know, partners like Nike and Adidas and such, but also partners like influencers, so really, really diverse. Um, Here, I also became senior, and then I started more driving my own project, setting up project briefs, aligning them with stakeholders, um, things like that. And of course, being more responsible for the impact of my work. And now very recently, it so happens that I got to lead this studio team. So I'm the team lead on one hand for this area. And I'm very um, happy and proud to, to be working with such amazing colleagues. And on top of it all, I also have a responsibility as design operations manager. This is because at Zalando, we are a really big design community. We're actually the biggest in Berlin and we are way over 100 people. I cannot give you an exact number because there's always a few freelancers in there as well, so that fluctuates a little bit. But you see how at some point, you need someone to look after the community as a whole, so as a design operations manager, to make sure that people are happy, people are growing, people are feeling productive and enabled in their work. So yeah, that's that's the most recent plot twist. Well, it's true. You as a designer, you know that uh, that
0: good design is a key to success of any product, right? And we can see on such typical example of IKEA that their designs are very simple, their communication is very transparent, but at the same time, there's been done a lot of work behind this simplicity. So they spent lots of effort on studying people's habits, their cultural backgrounds in order to understand their household traditions, their household routine. So what is the specific of the research process in the fashion e-commerce industry?
1: I'm sure if I can speak for the whole e-commerce fashion industry, but I'm happy to share how things are set up around here. We have a user research team that dedicates their time to both generative and evaluative research. They do this via qualitative and quantitative methods. So we as a design team have an easy time building then on these insights and making sure that whatever we come up with indeed addresses the uncovered needs. Um, But when it comes to the designers themselves, of course, we are also more than um, eager and also capable of running some of the research on our own and that is of course invited Um, and for me personally my favorite type of research is the generative user research that we do within the discovery phase of the product design process and in here i have a specific um, method that i love to use it's called sacrificial concepts and On one hand, it enables us to put specific thoughts as a discussion basis in front of customers very early on, so the conversation itself is more productive. What it also does is that it invites the co-creation from the customer very early on because we then ask them, hmm, how can we make this better for you? Which one resonates the most? It even gives us a prioritization of needs. The other very welcome side effect for me is that it helps us kill our assumptions very early on because once we put these sacrificial concepts in front of people, we will soon realize that many of them aren't as awesome as they seemed in our head. So the actual learning, the true learning can happen from then on.
0: Uh, Maybe we can dig deeper in the professional communities that exist in the world of a product design. So in your team, what kind of professional communities do exist?
1: Of course, there are many communities that form around the specific disciplines, the specific backgrounds of designers. So some that are really specialized in research or even UX copywriting, things like that. Um, I personally also enjoy the more casual ones. Um, so here in Berlin, there are meetups like, I don't know, the UX happy hour. I know it's present in very many other cities as well. And for me, I also enjoy coming together with people from my community without specifically talking so much about work. Um, In my case, this actually led to landing one of my, my first jobs or finding really, really close friends. I think there's value in just connecting with each other even outside of the of the specifics of our day-to-day life. Um, and what I also really enjoy is the communities that are a, a little bit more built around shared values. For example, here in Berlin, I used to attend the peace Innovation lab regularly because it was all about innovating for the for the social good. It just gave me a very... Satisfying feeling to to attend and to know that I am putting my my work to the best of its use, do you know what are the
0: backgrounds uh, of the designers with whom you work with? in the team that I lead
1: in the studio, I actually think that well, we always joke that this is roughly the place for all of the design misfits because we have people with very, very different backgrounds, and this is intentional so Of course, diversity is important in all of the areas of the company and it's important in every team. There are many aspects of diversity. Here I will focus on the one in terms of background. And in the studio, we actually have people who have these more unique roles like a creative technologist. So that's a half designer, half developer. Or we have people who come from a strategic communication background who have awesome chops when it comes to storytelling, or service designers, business designers, et cetera. And why it's so important for the studio's success is because of the type of work that we do. So the challenges that we tackle are often very undefined. It's so much about conquering the unknown together, And this is why if we are able to swoop in and tackle it from many, many different angles at the same time, it will enable us to have impact faster.
0: And do you guys have like your specific slang, your language that you communicate with each other? Like something that a person like I am, I'm totally outside of the design world, will never get
1: we try to keep that to a minimum around here because we already have so much e-commerce slang floating around. Actually, we have during our onboarding process, a dedicated section, a glossary, where we enable designers who join us to learn all of the different e-commerce slang words so that they can equally participate on eye level during meetings. So I think it would be a lot of an overkill if we introduce even more language from our end. But yes, it takes a lot of discipline not to. And for
0: example, if you guys go out together for beer after long day of work do you still use this slang this kind of type of dialect uh, between
1: yourself or yeah i think unfortunately it infuses every aspect of our life and i must confess that sometimes i even take these internalized slang words with me into my private life and i find my partner sometimes looking weirdly at me and not being able to understand so that's when i realized that i need to dial back a little bit yes
0: how much art is in UX design from
1: my point of view there is quite little art in product design i'm sure that this would be different for different product designers but in my case i have a formal background in behavioral economics and i pull a lot from that and what i find most useful to pull in from this formal background is a deeper understanding of the irrationalities that people have, the different biases that we bring to the table, the different motivations that we have, the different needs, the basic needs that everyone um, carries around with them. So the deeper I understand that, the better I can tailor my um, solutions to keep all of these aspects of being human (laughs) um, in mind next question
0: is about being human and specifically about the empathy in your profession as you said you deal a lot with customers and their behaviors uh, so it implies that you should have some empathy for people's lives. however there is such a problem that the more you work with people the less compassionate you might be about their feelings doctors for example they face this problem after many years of uh, of medical practice. For those who are dealing with customers on daily basis, uh, how not to get lost in the Excel files and all this business analysis and maintain this feeling of compassion of human being in, inside of you towards your
1: customers? Um, so empathy is definitely one of the buzzwords in design. And indeed, I do believe that it's an important core capability of being a designer. And to me, I would like to unpack the concept of empathy here so that we can have a more discerning conversation about it. So to me, empathy on one hand is, yes, feeling with the other, that would be emotional empathy, but it's also thinking with the other, and that would be more cognitive empathy, and. As you rightfully pointed out there are certain roles certain types of jobs in which emotional empathy plays a huge role so as you mentioned doctors for example who at some point need to find ways to compartmentalize and shield themselves right from the from the day-to-day suffering that they sometimes experience i think that when it comes to product design the heavy lifting is on the cognitive empathy side of things. We need to make sure that we thoroughly understand what is going on, what our customer is trying to achieve, trying to get done, and make sure that our solution lends itself as smoothly as possible to that. So I don't want to, fully deny or diminish the role of emotional empathy within design, I think it's very important as well, because it's what helps us really connect on a human level and really motivate us and drive us to find a really good solution once we uncover a customer pain. But I think that the quality of the solution itself will then arise from the rather cognitive empathy.
0: Unfortunately, we do not have so much time to talk more about your, uh, let's say, the specifics of your profession. That's why I would like to switch topic and talk a little bit more in your personal life. Fairly enough, you could be called a citizen of the world, but let's open a little secret uh, to people who are going to listen to this podcast that originally you come from Romania. If I'm not taking it by mistake, back there, when you were still studying for your bachelor's in international economics, you were awarded the scholarship for outstanding students by the Romanian Ministry of Education. Wow. So do you remember that day when you received this happy news? And like, what was your reaction?
1: I do remember the day. Um, of course, the nerd in me rejoiced. <laughs> At the, at the recognition of my hard work. But actually what made me really happy was knowing that from here on out, a lot of doors would open to for me moving forward. And um, some of the doors that I was very eager to open at that point were international study travels and things like that. And indeed, I was very lucky to... Um, be accepted into several programs, one of which was then my master's in in Germany. But another thing that was a little bit more short-sighted that also thrilled me about it is that with this scholarship, with this recognition that I received, I was able to not work um, for a while during my studies because I didn't need to support myself in that way. And I could focused a little bit more on connecting with both the people that I was enrolled with in those studies and also the city that I was in. It's actually a Transylvanian city. The name is Cluj. And to me, it had so many different things to offer. For example, I went out and volunteered for a film festival or just enjoyed... um, Tea with friends, lots of cooking nights, or watching old movies, all of the things that make a geek's heart rejoice. So it really gave me an opportunity to savor and make good memories. During your travels, you gave yourself a very powerful alias
0: or nickname, Lana Creeks. It has some spirit in it, for sure. So who is that girl, Lana Creeks?
1: Right. So, um, At that point in time, I didn't realize all of the implications of giving myself an alias. Um, I thought it through a little bit. I thought to myself, hmm, um, there's definitely a driven and curious part of me. Lana, as a word, seemed to capture that quite well. And then the second part of it, Krigs, was really not that inventive, that's my childhood nickname, but I liked to keep it in my alias because it reminded me of the more um, grounded side um, of my personality. And then what happened is that as I was traveling through the world, I had my home base in San Francisco for a while, I met some really amazing designers there, and then they introduced me to other designers all over the world. Meaning that when I moved to Berlin, I was already in touch with people who knew me as Lana. And this is how it stuck. I don't
0: know what is the professional background of your family members, but have you ever tried to explain them about your profession or integrate them somehow into what you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, I think that every designer has tried explaining to their parents what this product design is, especially UX design, um, the even less tangible part of things. Um, So in my case, yes, I have uh, two very curious parents. They are both engineers. They are both still very eager to, to learn. And with my mom specifically, I've had the pleasure of sharing the design process. She was curious to learn more about not just what design is or UX design, but also how one goes about it. And her eagerness came from wanting to pay it forward together with her high school students. She's a teacher at a local high school in Romania, and there was an opportunity to compete in a social innovation, um, almost like a hackathon, I would say. And together with the kids on her team, they pitched a project that would facilitate the re-entry into school life for young women who already became mothers. It was a very touching topic and I was super proud that they actually won funding for it and were able to push it forward
0: as far as I know, you have experienced living as a digital nomad for around two years, if um, I'm not mistaken it. For me, living as a digital nomad implies having lots of personal freedom and uh, first and foremost freedom of movement. However, in two thousand and fifteen, you moved to Berlin, and since then you have been working as a contractor employee, what did you have to sacrifice on your personal level for having this settled and titled lifestyle?
1: If you would ask this question to my younger self, I think she would be appalled that I am now a settled and titled um, person rather than a digital nomad, because straight out of university, there was nothing more important in my life than this itch to travel. Um, I indeed did this for a bit over two years and at that point I also did it at great cost because I already had a comfortable job in the automotive industry somewhere in the south of Germany but unexpectedly over these two something years my worldview changed a lot At some point, I grew tired of finding a new place to stay every other month or uh, running after design gigs that were never really deep engagements that would allow me to learn and grow professionally. I would more or less repeat what I already knew or was good at without challenging myself very much. And the most tiring aspect to me of the digital nomad lifestyle was having to leave the friends that i would make behind over and over and over again so actually this settled life that i am now in even though appalling to my younger self is what i have learned to love and to embrace i picked berlin after having tried out a bunch of cities so I don't feel trapped here. I feel like it was my choice. And similarly, after experiencing as a freelancer many different companies, I was in a position where I could pick Zalando and for now, be really happy with it. Um, of course, I know myself, and I know that that itch is not fully gone. It's not fully out of my system. So I'm very curious what life holds um, in in store for me. But for now. I feel at home and at ease. As a person who has traveled a lot, I I share this
0: feeling, so I completely understand you. Apart from traveling, how do you distress after having busy days at work? There
1: are a few things that I have learned from people around me that help with that. I am still not very good at it, I must confess, but what I have learned from my partner is to enjoy a good video game like Horizon Zero Dawn or God of War to enable my brain to yes shut up for a moment, but also take in the beauty of the story and the scenery of these um, of these video games. And another thing that I have learned from my from my coach Ria is to enjoy yoga and mindfulness. When it comes to yoga in particular, she always reminds me that it's a yoga practice and not a yoga perfect. So enhancing this um, feeling of letting go and cutting oneself some slack. Um, And when it comes to the meditations, I was lucky enough to have her craft a few ones for me that were tailored to the specific challenges that I had and in the moment they really felt like balm and enabled me to overcome the challenges that that I was facing and really de-stress and turn my my thinking brain off for a moment. Let's
0: talk a bit on giving back to the community. You do volunteering Uh, as a product design facilitator at the Refugee Code School in Berlin. Can you please explain me more what are the specifics of what you're doing and first and foremost, why it is important for you?
1: Mm, Giving back to me is um, really important because I believe that being in a place of privilege comes with responsibilities. And Of course, there are many different ways of giving back when it comes to giving back to the communities in my home country. I more give back on a financial level, but I believe that being immersed in the Berlin design community here I have an opportunity to give back in a more hands-on way and just engage and connect with the people and share some of my skills with them because the demand is really big right when it comes to uh, people specializing in any of the IT areas design being one of them so I focus on that when it comes to to the ready code school and the ready code school it tailors its classes to people who maybe have a refugee background or a migration background or just didn't have the chance before to get into the IT field and what I do with them at the beginning of almost every semester is having a crash course into design where they learn about the different stages of design and do this in a hands-on manner where as a team they need to decide on a customer problem that they care about, that they want to solution for, via the work that will follow them in the ongoing semester. And then together, we go a little bit already into prototyping and making some of the outstanding ideas that they have tangible. And this then serves them as a, almost like a uh, north star for the semester to come. And they poured their energy and skill into arriving at this prototype being shipped.
0: And do you remember any delightful students that you probably had in your, in your class that really impressed you? And you thought, oh, that guy has a great talent for, for that.
1: So actually, in, the, in one of the very first semesters where I facilitated um, the semester begin ceremony, there was one particular team member who wanted to create a website for a catering business. Turns out that the catering business was fueled by his mother's experience and love for cooking and then yes, this became true and then, a few years later, I was hosting another workshop this time it was at the Impact Hub here in Berlin because the impact hub i'm um, they are focusing on. Um, entrepreneurs from rather the social innovation area so I was running a design workshop there sharing my my knowledge and tools things like that it turns out that I was then able to um request the catering via the student that I was um that I had met at ready school years earlier. So that was such a beautiful story of closing the loop and staying in touch and being part of someone's uh, story here and there. It might not be um, a big part, but it's beautiful to see how we can touch each other's lives in, in in these ways.
0: Let's maybe talk a bit more about circular design. As far as I know, you're a- great advocate of a circular sustainable design so what does it mean for you to be circular in design thinking
1: um yeah thank you for bringing this up this was actually um one of the main reasons why i was initially hesitant to join the fashion industry Um, The fashion industry has a very poor track record when it comes to the harm that it does to our environment. It's highly polluting. And I was seriously wondering if I should take my experience and skills and put them into this specific area, amplifying the problem um, that was already existing. And I came to terms with this by understanding that if people like myself sort themselves out of the process, then this problem will, yes, never change and never be tackled. So I went in knowing that I want to fly the flag of circular design and make sure that we move away from this highly polluting system that is very linear item gets produced, item gets sold, item gets trashed, to one that is more circular in a way in which the item, yes, gets produced, and yes, maybe it gets sold, but it has a life after that. Maybe it can be reused, and if it cannot be reused, then maybe it can be repaired and reused. Or if that's also not the case any longer, then at least it can be recycled rather than trashed. So. This is to me the big difference that circular design brings to the table, thinking beyond the purchase moment and taking responsibility for that. And I was very happy to be on several um, sustainability and circular design initiatives in my role here at Zalando. And recently, we also launched one of the uh, platforms on which customers have the opportunity to also buy second-hand fashion items, pre-loved items, and give a second life to them rather than continuously um, polluting the only planet we have.
0: I totally agree with you, especially taking into consideration that um, mass textile production still brings lots of uh, pollution to our environment.
1: I would like to add one more thing because maybe the way in which I frame things now puts a lot of the responsibility on the customer and yes, on the business in terms of their business model. I think that it's not the customer alone who should drive this change. I believe that there's plenty of things that companies can do and should do. And for example, in the case of Zalando, um, it's not the customer's responsibility that we should use renewable energies or ship parcels with less plastic in them i don't mean to um, take away from our responsibility and actually we have made uh, many commitments when it comes to the things that we can influence to push those forward too.
0: yeah and what do you
1: think is still lacking in this world
0: of circular design and what is still lacking in the consciousness of the companies of the companies that produce in getting getting into this point of understanding that yes we need to take connection and yes being green can be also fashionable
1: um i think that it's slowly starting to to arrive i definitely see good tendencies and have hope i believe that um maybe there is an opportunity to make even clearer how much opportunity there is from a business perspective and how much demand there is from a customer perspective for such services. And I believe that e-commerce businesses are uniquely suited to make to make this connection between the end customer side and then also the business partner side, so the brands themselves. And in the case of us, in the case of Salando, I believe that if we can highlight how much, um, how much demand, how much craving there is from the end customer side, we are uniquely suited to a little bit force the hand um, of some of the brands to move into the sustainable space at a faster pace.
0: We're coming to an end and I have a couple of more questions left uh, related to starting in the profession of uh, UX or product designer. For those who, for example, are now trying to get into the profession or, you know, are exploring this area as a potential professional area, uh, what is the way for these people to build their UX design portfolio that actually works on practice?
1: When I see folios from designers or even aspiring designers, what I am looking for is a peek behind the scenes. Seeing only polished work is just giving a taste, but not really serving a meal. So in order to make To make it clear what your design approach is, what your values are, what you stand for, it's important to also include some raw artifacts that show the behind the scenes work that you did. And we all know how the ideal design process should look like, but the reality is never as neat as that. So what makes a portfolio really interesting for me to explore is being able to understand how Did you as a designer or aspiring designer navigate these uncertainties? How did you make the most of what you had? Maybe some designers are working in lower maturity companies or just don't have the luxury of so many specialized functions around themselves, like user research and copywriting and things like that. That's all fine as long as I can see how you achieved the most with what you've had.
0: And what is the best way uh, to get pro in the UX design and where do we actually study for it?
1: Mm, In my case, I studied online. I took loads of online classes and I'm happy to share a few that worked for me with you. And I also then volunteered my craft to different organizations that were in the nonprofit sector. Either they needed me to craft something for them, it enabled me to flex that muscle. Maybe they needed me to facilitate certain sessions, also fine. What I personally steered away from were unsolicited redesigns of big established platforms, but much rather wanted to do something in the real world, yes, for free, but hey, at least for a good cause.
0: What helps you to stay up to date in your profession and to keep track on the new new trends in the product
1: design? Um, So as mentioned earlier, I enjoy going to meetups here in Berlin from time to time. I also um, have a few mentees. My mentees are very well connected, so they also help me stay in touch. So that's some reverse mentoring that's going on there that I'm thankful for. And there are a lot of blogs and good podcasts out there, especially podcasts work really well for me because I can listen to them on my way to work and from work. And by now, it is almost like a ritual that I enjoy every day. I'm
0: sure we will bring this list of recommendations from you in the publication of the interview so our listeners would be able to check this list online in the meantime i have two other questions left one of them is how do you balance your activities instead of just separating them
1: yeah you definitely put your finger into the wound here um i'm not very good at it yet but um Forced by the situation of being both a team lead and a design operations manager, I needed to learn how to unlock these. Here comes the buzzword synergies between the tasks that I work on. The challenge that I am facing in this dual role as team lead and the interim design operations manager is that there is so much context switching going on. And if I wouldn't optimize, For the smallest amount of it, I would be scatterbrained all day long. So, what I do here is color code my whole calendar with the different topics or projects that I'm currently pushing, and then make as many uh, blocks stick together as possible. So, it's almost like gamifying my calendar a little bit. You know, you always need to see the playful side in things. In order for me to be able to stay focused throughout the day and also throughout the week, I try to have a maximum of three big chunks, three big projects that I push every week. And else I defer things, I realign them.
0: At the end of every interview, we ask the ladies to give some advice for the ones who want to enter into the product profession but are afraid to do so so maybe you could give some encouraging words to them
1: of course um i believe that one doesn't need to feel that she is ready to do something before doing it i often receive this advice that you know i should just be more confident and It didn't work for me at all. What worked for me was chunking bigger goals that I had. For example, yes, getting into the industry, into smaller tasks, really tiny tasks at times, and going after these one by one. And what it enabled me to do is to keep moving. And in moments of doubt, To at least be able to look on a specific track record of things that, yes, I had completed until that point, so that my inner imposter syndrome wouldn't take overhand. I wouldn't feel that much like a fraud, given that I had at least accomplished a few objective things. To sum it up in the words of Princess Leia from Star Wars, I would advise you to not wait to be confident until you attempt to take this step.
0: Thank you, Lena, for being with us. It's been a very interesting experience, I'm sure not only for me, but also for our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.